0: Welcome to the Culture Quest podcast. On today's episode, we start off by talking about the wisest sayings we've ever heard in talk. Then in the main discussion, we'll discuss the film from 1966, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. In the outro, Inan will discuss the topic of next episode, which is What Remains of Edith Finch, a video game.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Culture Quest. We are But Humble Adventurers, and today we get our hats shot off of our heads for no apparent reason. With me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Barrio. Howdy. And I am Inon. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Today we're discussing what is probably the quintessential spaghetti western, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But before that, let's do some tavern talk. (laughs) I'm always waiting for that. (laughs) So today on Tavern Talk, we've asked ourselves the question, what is the wisest saying you've ever heard? So as I see it, an answer to this question could include many things like something someone said offhandedly that captured your attention, a quote that you like, something that is just meaningful to you, basically anything. Who wants to go first? Peter.
0: (laughs) <laughs> Alrighty, righty. Um, mine's going to be the shortest. So mine is cogito ergo sum, which in English is I think, therefore I am, which just sounds like one of those real um, meaningless philosophy terms. Or yeah, I
1: never really got it. Is it cogito um, or cogito?
0: I think it's like cogito is like cognitive, cognitive but it's still, yeah. I think it's cogito. Um, anyway. Yeah, I think therefore I am was like of absolutely no relevance to me before I sort of looked into all those books on like consciousness and phenomenology and stuff. Mm. And it comes up basically in every book. So I think Therefore I Am is like when Descartes, he tried to disassemble like all his knowledge. So he basically the the story goes that he said if there was like an evil demon or something that was controlling everything. So that was giving me illusions and uh, making me have false beliefs and all this stuff. If I strip back all of my knowledge, what can I build from like first principles, you know, like what, what like has to be true. And basically where he got to is, I think therefore I am, which is like, if I'm having this thought, then that means I exist. And that's basically, it's, it's the most basic thing you can be sure of. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm. yeah, that's correct. And only thing um, you
2: can't you can't doubt.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah.
2: Like you can doubt everything, but you can't doubt the doubter.
0: Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another kind yeah. of formulation of it. And um I mean it's like in one way, it's like the most simple thing ever, because before that people are oh, I don't know. Are we really conscious? I don't know. Like <laughs> who can tell? But that it's just like a really pithy way of putting down that argument and it's just very tight philosophy i guess like it's kind of just does what it needs to do nothing more i'd say descartes was wrong about like pretty much everything except this is like the one thing that's like still holds up and probably will hold up forever like there's no science that could ever sort of undermine that quote it's Hmm. pretty spot on
1: i don't really know like the the works of Descartes or, or anything. Is there
0: like other things he said that I might be familiar with? If he was bang on about this quote, right? He he also thought that there was like a Cartesian, which is from Descartes, Cartesian theater, which is where there's like a mini homunculus in your mind that views everything. So like all the, where you see things and hear things and smell things, they all come together in the, like a movie theater, where Mm. the little homunculus kind of views it all like it's all comes into consciousness so all the thoughts that arise come through this little window and then that's how they're all viewed it's not just that it's incorrect but it was just a bad way of thinking about things because people began to have this tacit belief that you and your brain were like separate things you know like you'd you would view the things inside your brain whereas that's like neuroscience is just beating us over the head with the fact that that's just not true. So. Yeah,
2: yeah I, re- I remember that Descartes saying, if I can doubt the existence of a body, but I can't d- doubt the existence of a consciousness, hence the existence of a consciousness isn't dependent on the body. And this kind of leads to the whole humanculus argument, which again, kind of like, it doesn't sound logical. And I guess, I guess it's it probably mostly sounds like it's trying to... You Know, be in favor of the church takes a bit of a weird, couple of weird turns there after the eclectic argument. Mm,
0: yeah, even the fact that since you can't doubt that you exist, that consciousness isn't dependent on a body or something like that, even that's not necessarily true from what he's saying. Because if it were true, if you just posit that you need a body to. Be conscious like and there were people that were conscious just because they can think that doesn't mean there is like they they don't need a body you know what i mean so that, that it doesn't really prove anything about how consciousness arises or anything it's yeah
2: just, exactly and you know with the humanculus there's also the um, infinite recursion yeah where you say well is there a new inside that humanculus in a movie theater to see what the Outer Eumunculus watches in the outer cinema. Yeah.
0: Well, that's kind of goes back to another quote, which is also like entities should not be multiplied unnecessarily, which is the rule of Occam's razor, which gets provoked when people try to try to answer something with like just putting an entity in there which needs its own explanation. So for instance, like who created evolution, then you say like God, but then you gotta say like who created God? Which is another infinite recursion. So if you have evolution that can explain it all, Occam's Razor would say that you shouldn't involve anything that doesn't need to be there. And the funny
2: thing is that Occam himself was a monk. Oh, really?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Really? Mm.
2: It's funny because Occam Razor is kind of like cutting his head. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Barry, do you want to go next?
2: I will take something that I recently saw because there are so many smart quotes. You know, it's not smart. Smart like it's not. It's not smart from a philosophical point of view. Maybe I'm getting it wrong, but like I, this is kind of like something that I think is very important to, to remember. So in that kind of way, smart. And it goes, I stop telling myself that I'm lost. I'm not. I'm on a road with no destination. I'm just driving with hope that I'll find a place that I like and I'll stay there. I'm not lost. I'm on my way. It's a very smart quote because it takes a bit of the pressure off. You know, once you get to the place that you are going, assuming that you will get to a place, then you will kind of know your way. But it's okay that you're, you're not, you you're don't have everything figured out. So I think it's something good to take with you. So it's uh, street smart.
0: <laughs> All I can say is it reminded me of the Proclaimers song um, called I'm on my way, which is like, I'm on my way, I'm on my way to happiness today. You guys know that song? no um, no oh well that sucks then <laughs> the people listening will get it and they'll love that song they'll look it up i like it but you're not going to get a five-star uber rating from me that's all <laughs> i'll say
1: <laughs> I, I like this kind of way of thinking i totally agree with it like um just just because you don't know where you're going doesn't mean that you're not on the right way it doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong
2: where 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 is it from? where did you find it? I don't know. It? I think like I I came across it a couple of years ago, and I saw it again uh, recently. There's a there's a Facebook page called uh, Word Porn or something like that. So I think I saw it there a couple of years ago.
1: So uh, actually, it's uh, the the saying I wanted to bring up. Not really a saying, something just something someone said that I kind of liked. Isn't too far away from from yours, Barya, from what you brought up. I wanted to talk about something that CGP Grey had said. CGP Grey, he's mainly known for his YouTube channel, which I think is one of the more popular channels on YouTube. Um, He mostly does um, videos in which he kind of charismatically explains stuff. But, you know, in the last couple of years, he also did a few videos about ideas he had about life and productivity and stuff like that. And I kind of see him as kind of a YouTube philosopher now, kind of, and... I've been following his channel for, I don't know, who knows how long, like years. And uh, a few years ago, I also started listening to two podcasts that he does. There's Hello Internet, which he does with Brady Heron, which is another YouTuber. It's kind of a two guys talking about whatever podcast. It's really, really good. And there's Cortex with Gray and Mike Hurley, which started as a podcast about kind of Gray's work methods and productivity and stuff like that, which I also found really interesting. And, you know, throughout the years, I kind of took a lot out of Gray's book. Like I find his approach to things, to to life, to work, to to all kinds of things a, a bit weird, but really interesting. And, you know, it kind of affected the way I do things a bit. And here's what I wanted to bring up. I think that in one of the Q&As he did on his YouTube channel, he talked about how he disagrees with the idea of follow your dreams, of following your passion or do what you love, which at first kind of took me by surprise uh, because obviously who doesn't want to follow and achieve their dreams? And, you know, on the surface, it's kind of a positive idea to follow your dreams. But, well, his explanation was that if you're truly passionate about something, you're probably already trying to achieve it. Like, if you're really into playing the trumpet, it's not like you need someone to tell you, hey, you should play
0: the trumpet. That's true. I never thought about that. That no one's like, oh, do I have to follow my dreams? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense, what I did not think about.
1: Yeah, it, it feels kind of like a default yes. Like, yeah, that, who doesn't want to follow their dreams? But it, it kind of implies blindly following your dreams, if you know what I mean. I don't know. Like, the absolute majority of people don't really have a clear idea of what they want to do, or they don't really have a very specific passion or dream that they want to achieve. Uh, the idea of following your dreams is, is not exactly the right path to take always. Like, I may be wrong, but I have a feeling that there's a lot of young people out there, or maybe not even young people, just people out there who aren't exactly sure about what they want to do in life, and they feel a lot of pressure to figure it out. And it's not as easy as just settling on a dream. And I don't know, to add to that pressure, the idea that you should have a dream to follow just makes things worse. Like, You can end up deciding on a dream and 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 then put a lot of time and effort into trying to making that dream come true while also kind of setting for yourself a high bar in order to achieve happiness. And sometimes without really realizing what achieving the dream even means or what it would take. And I don't know, then you could start questioning whether or not that really is your dream. You can find yourself looking for a new dream, and then going back to where you started, just chasing something that doesn't really exist because you don't really know what that dream means. Instead of setting your mind on one specific hard-to-get goal, maybe the right thing to do is just trying doing all kinds of different things, learning from the experience, building up an idea of what makes you happy, and creating a clear picture of something that you would want to do and something that is within your reach, and aim for that. Uh, this also has to do with the idea of how can you even tell what your dream is without ever even experiencing it. I, I had a dream of becoming a musician. I never really knew what being a musician meant, like at all. So I totally believe in trying different things, understanding what works, what doesn't work for you, what you're good at. Maybe you'll find that you're interested in things that you you've never even considered, and taking things one step at a time instead of setting like an unachievable goal uh,
2: it reminds me of the joke about there's this archaeologist that goes to a shrink right and he's telling him listen doctor i'm just sad i'm incredibly sad and i don't understand really why because i'm living my dream you know i from the second grade the moment that i saw indiana jones i dreamt of becoming an archaeologist I read books about it and when I got to high school I picked uh, archaeological courses and I went to archeologist uh, uh, university and and I did everything and now I'm I'm a fully qualified archeologist and I'm not happy and I don't understand why. So the shrink looks at him and he says so you've let your entire adult life be dictated according to a uh, second grade dreams and the archeologist kind of like puts his palm on his head and he says oh my god you're right oh no i feel i feel even worse oh you're you're a terrible shrink I, I don't feel better i just feel i just feel worse and the shrink looks at him and he says yeah i wanted to be a shrink since kindergarten <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of like a nice joke that that tells you you need to let your dreams evolve together with with you you can you can't exactly. get stuck exactly that's, that's a great point like you can't set
1: a high point that you want to get to and never let it adjust to what happens to, to you. Things change. It's very
2: human to, I guess, to to kind of like think that your dream will solve or, all your problems and kind of be very fixating on, on that dream. It kind of reminds me of uh, Forrest Gump where like everyone
1: had their goals and Forrest didn't really and he was just adjusting to whatever happened around him and it kind of created this illusion that Forrest created this perfect life for himself, while what he did was just accepting whatever happened and making the best out of every situation.
2: Yeah, that's a good comparison.
1: Yeah. So, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, a movie directed by Sergio Leone, is a spaghetti western from 1966, starring Clint Eastwood as, as Blondie, Aka The Good, Lee Van Cliff as Angel Eyes, aka The Bad, and Eli Wallach as Tuco, aka The Ugly. And I I heard the term spaghetti western thrown around before, but I, I just learned that in the 60s, westerns were popular, and and a lot of movies were made in Italy, a lot of westerns were made in Italy, and this one, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, is probably the most important movie in that genre. So, This movie is about the Wild West in America during the Civil War, uh, 1862 to be exact. Some of the actors were speaking in Italian and later English-speaking actors dubbed their parts, which is not unlike what we saw with Enter the Dragon a while back. Other than the fact that The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is a Western, which means that it features cowboys and horse riding and six shooters and deserts and stuff like that, I would say that this movie is sort of an adventure movie at least on its surface. Like, when you explain the plot of the movie, it sounds like the plot of an adventure movie. Like, the movie starts by introducing us to to the characters. We learn that Angel Eyes is kind of a hired gun that is searching for a guy called Bill Carson because that Carson guy apparently stole $200,000 and hid the money, and Angel Eyes wants that money. Uh, We see that he's not averse to killing, especially for his own gain. Tuko, at least in the beginning, is a no good criminal with a bounty on his head, and Blondie is a bounty hunter, which captures Tuko, turns him in for the prize, and then we learn that they're actually working together. After claiming the prize, Blondie helps Tuko escape, and they share the prize. And after a while, Blondie figures out that the prize on Tuko's head is not going to rise above a certain amount, and it's just not worth the risk, so he leaves Tuko stranded in the desert. But Tuco survives and he wants to get even with Blondie. So he sneaks up on him, disarms him and basically makes him walk around in the desert with no water or food until he almost dies. And then, at this point, like, the adventure stuff kind of kicks off, which I'll just say, this is an hour and 15 minutes into the movie already. <laughs> By a chance, they run into a dying Bill Carson, who shares with them the information about the hidden money. Uh, funnily enough, he manages to tell Tuco only at which graveyard the money's buried in, and he tells Blondie at which grave it's in. So, if Tuco and Blondie want to get the money... They have to rely on each other. They have to work together and avoid Angel Eyes, who's also after the money, and will stop at nothing to get it. But the movie is more than just this adventure. It, it kind of explores the idea of good and bad with Blondie and Angel Eyes in each end of the scale, you know, the good and the bad. and Tuco, the ugly is kind of in the middle, kind of being pulled to each end of that scale. In very broad strokes, that's the movie. So... Uh, Let's talk about what we thought about the movie and get a bit
2: deeper into it.
0: Uh, Barrier, why don't you go first?
2: Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Tit for tat. Um, Well, this was the first Western I've ever seen. And obviously, I think it's probably the most famous Western that I've ever heard of. And it was better than I expected. Like, obviously, it was incredibly slow. Wildly slow. (laughs) Wildly slow. And again, like, I thought... For a 1966 movie, I would expect like it to be an hour and a half. But when we sat down to watch it, and we kind of <laughs> waited for it to end already, it didn't. And we realized we're watching an almost three hours long movie. That's and totally my bad.
1: That... We watched it together, and I went into IMDb, and I probably checked the wrong page, because I thought it was an hour and 30 minutes long. That's what I told Barrio, and... <laughs> An hour and thirty minutes into the movie, we realized we're only at the half,
2: yeah, it reminded me the first time that I flew to Amsterdam, I was sure it's a three hours flight, and kind of like after two and a half hours, people told me no it's it's five hours, oh. yeah, in the plane itself, and I was like, this completely threw me off <laughs> of my balance because I have to
1: be somewhere
2: <laughs> no because like you're expecting something to end, yeah, especially if it's it's kind of like long and tedious yeah. and when someone tells you in the middle no you, we, you, like you completely miscalculated it's, it's twice as long as you thought
0: that's when you um, that's when you whisper into your um, cuff right? set the timer for another 30 minutes <laughs> 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 um, so that threw me off my balance a bit but um, I
2: gotta say that it was better made than I, than I thought that I expected like I, I imagined everything to be like really fake and tacky but, like, I could relate to, to the characters. And I gotta say that what took me probably the most by surprise is that Tuko the ugly... Was probably the most relatable character, and it was. I
1: definitely didn't expect that. Yeah, yeah,
2: like I was, I was assumed that the ugly is kind of like the third wheel of the good and bad uh, conflict, but he wasn't at all. He was kind of like the character that drove the plot, and he did do it in an interesting way. Other than being a great, great actor, like
1: yeah,
2: the plot was interesting, probably like (laughs) like it had these side side quests. That were a bit weird and and unrelated. And kind of like the power shifts in in that trio. You know, sometimes it's the good and the bad. Sometimes it's the ugly and the bad. Sometimes it's all these mix and matches. Yeah. Which actually was pretty good. And I gotta say that the end was also kind of satisfying. And I think, like, my last take on it, it was interesting how the good, the bad, and the ugly... None of them were actually really good or really bad or really ugly. It was a
0: bit ugly. Yeah, but not, not incredibly. <laughs> no, not awfully, yeah. The bad wasn't that much worse than the good. Yeah. Well, a little uh, bit worse.
1: You can question their motivations and kind of compare. But like I think that I saw that the good killed like 11 people throughout the movie and the bad only killed like three. So Yeah, less screen time though. Yeah.
2: The good also left Tuko like in the desert.
0: Yeah. yeah, That's, I left him that's to die. not that's not a a, a good move. No, it's kind of evil. The ending sort of reifies the good bit about him, but like I guess it's not as good as a title. But it's more like the marginally good, the sort of bad, and like the sometimes ugly. So I guess that would be their characters. But it's not like a. It's not like, yes, he is so good, and like yeah. compared to the other guys, you know, like he he's terrible and. The bad is this—the worst person ever. Like it, it's, they're kind of like not that far away from each other in the spectrum. Yeah,
2: yeah. maybe I'm a bit of a of an ageist because I don't know. Like I, I would assume that this, like a movie that old, will be a lot more black and white. And and uh, I was um, happy to to find out that I was wrong.
1: I actually heard that the movie didn't do well because of that. Also, like uh, as one of the Uh, reasons because like at the time american westerns were really black and white like you said it like heroes were heroes bad guys were bad guys and everything was kind of clear and maybe because it was a foreign movie but they weren't really used to having a hero that's also kind of an anti-hero it didn't have those clear lines interesting yeah I, i can i can see that happen
0: I actually really enjoyed this film. It, it was long, actually, and it was a little bit slow, but I think I didn't find that too bad. Like, if I could have shortened it by maybe 15 minutes and cut through, like, some of the long walking scenes or something, that'd be good. And if I could replace those 15 minutes with another 15 minutes of, like, the three guys at the end all just, like, looking at each other in, like, cold sweat, like, ready to shoot one another... Around the rock with nothing inscribed on it, <laughs> I would happily make that trade because that was just The best, like it must have gone you on for like it. two or the, three the minutes. Eight minutes of Mexican was, standoff close up. It sundarize. was the best scene because I was trying to do like the game theory. I was like, oh, who, who would it be? Like, surely the ugly guy. You know, he's meant to like have less will than the other two. Like, even though the guys, the bad guy is bad. You know, the bad guy usually has some sort of like, you know, bottle and. The ugly guy usually just, like, cops out first. But then I was like, oh, actually, I don't know. Maybe they'll, they'll surprise us. The good guy will shoot first. That could be a thing. And I'm like, actually, no, it probably will be the bad guy. Like, honestly, like it gave me so much time to contemplate it. I actually didn't know who was going to, like, shoot first. Everyone wanted to shoot first, but everyone knew that it was a bad idea. It was like a battle of, like, who could resist the longest. It was it was fantastic. Like, it was, like, my favorite scene. I'm so glad to hear it.
1: I thought, like, it's eight minutes long, and... I agree. I thought, I thought it was really good, but I thought they could do it with like four minutes instead of eight. <laughs> nah, I should
0: have gone on longer. <laughs> I would have loved to see where my mind would have gone after like 12 minutes. That's interesting. <laughs> and also, uh, I could not believe Clint Eastwood is in a 1966 film. I've, I guess I haven't seen Clint Eastwood in a lot of things, but I was thinking he was like 60 to 70 at the moment. So then... I was like, wait, um, 66, he must've been like a teenager or like younger, but it turns out he's 90 years old now in 2020. Yeah. I just didn't know, like, cause 1966 is old. That's like Beatles, you know? Like He was
1: 36 during the, the filming of that movie. 35. Really?
0: That's actually quite old. Yeah. Quite old. He was old, born didn't... in 1930, yeah. yeah. And geez, he's attractive, oh, isn't he? F- I mean. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Has to be I totally agree.
0: Cuz his son, which we should all appreciate the age difference. His son is <laughs> um I think in his 30s at the moment. And he I'm and looking at pictures now. He's beautiful. Scott Eastwood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Scott Eastwood is quite beautiful. He has that squint. <laughs> yeah, he does have the squint, but like I I didn't, I never really saw Clint Eastwood as a young guy, which is amazing. Like I don't know how I haven't seen a picture of it or haven't remembered a picture of it. But um yeah, I was just amazed. He looks like a rock star. Like he's, yeah, you know, got that like timeless look. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Eric Clapton. But mm. and yeah, like he's very charming and and all the actors in this in this film are like really quite good. Like Lee Van Cleef, I've got to say, probably steals it because he he could have easily been a side character, but he stole the show. Really? Um, sorry, not Lee Van Cleef. Sorry, Eli Wallach. Eli Wallach. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, Enclave was good as well. It was good, um, really good. But but Ilai Wallach just took it to another level. I thought. Yeah, he was kind of like driving it. Like you really felt like I don't know. I I, I really disliked him because I don't know. Just during that desert scene I, when he was like drinking the water and stuff like that, I really hated him. But even after that, you still do feel like you're living through his eyes sometimes. Like, you're looking at Blondie thinking, wow, like, you know, like, even though you don't really like Blondie, you do realize, like, he's pretty talented, you know. Like, yeah. you do have some respect for him. And um, then you look at um, Angel Eyes and, you know, you have a bit of fear because he's a bit unpredictable. He, he really does kind of make the film for me. Actually, at the start, like, the very first scene with Angel Eyes, there's an actor called, he, the actor's name is Antonio Casas. And he plays a person called, I think it's Stevens. And I actually got like, he, he gets killed straight away. And for some reason I got mixed up Like in the first five minutes. I thought that guy was the ugly, the Tuco. And I was like, wait, did he get killed? Is this like a flashback? Like. I don't know why, they don't even look that (laughs) small. but I got a little bit confused, so I just like rewind it. But, um, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. Like, I I guess I thought it would be slow and it was slow. So that's one thing I guess I was right about, but I, I didn't expect the plot to do much of anything really. And I I thought the action, I thought the way that it was shot would also be a lot more primitive, you know, like you just kind of don't expect much from a 1960s film, but I was pleasantly surprised. Like it was, it was so engaging, held my attention. It was great. It came out with a great feeling as well after watching it. Like it really, it was a good ending, you know? I totally agree. So yeah, honestly, I think it's like one of, I don't know if it's one of my favorite films ever, but it's definitely like one of those sort of Shawshank Redemption, like, Pulp Fiction, Fire Club, like one of those like all-time great films, I think, from my perspective. I, I thought it was really fantastic. So what what did you think, Inan?
1: I, I, I loved it. After watching it, it it stayed with me for, for a long while. I even watched it again. I wanted to feel like I'm in that world again. Like for a movie that is just under three hours, the plot is kind of thin and stretched out. There's not a lot of plot, but it's being supported by a bunch of atmosphere. Like the movie has so much personality like you, you've mentioned the amazing acting. Uh, we'll probably mention the amazing soundtrack composed by Ennio Morricone which is just beautiful, like hypnotic beautiful and, and the visuals that make the, the movie captivating. Like if you, if, if you let yourself drown in the movie you totally forget that it's a movie. You totally forget that it's from 1966. You feel like you're in the Wild West. It, everything felt real you know and it's not that you don't notice that the movie is slow well, at least for me i have the movies i think wildly slow they're taking their time with every little thing like you can see them just riding horses for a while you can see people walking from one end of the frame to the other for a while it just takes a lot of time but because of of, of the atmosphere because of everything behind it it feels great if you're not into it, like it's it it could be unbearably slow, but if you're into the movie, then it's noticeably slow, but it's it's fun. I, I could have done, like I said, with four less minutes of that Mexican standoff or maybe four less minutes of watching Tuco running around that graveyard. <laughs> but 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 even if you leave it as it is, it's it's it, it works. It builds a bunch of tension, even to the point where I was starting to feel a bit frustrated at points because just just fucking shoot the gun already, but it, it works. And it, it's fun to enjoy something that's not based on instant gratification, you know? Something that takes time to build up. It, it's it's fun. I like it. Some of the frustration in in waiting for things to build up came from, again, not knowing that this is a three-hour movie. I thought it was, like we said, an hour and a half, and if if i would have come ready and like well rested i think i would have enjoyed it even more i totally think that if you can enjoy a movie with a bunch of atmosphere slow tension building and long stretches with no dialogue Free up some time and watch it movie when you're well-rested. That <laughs> sounds
0: like the worst ad ever.
2: Uh, <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> I
0: know. I, like,
1: I wouldn't call the, the experience a marathon, but it's definitely not a walk in the park either.
0: It's actually just a long walk in the a park. Long, a long, slow walk in the park.
1: <laughs> but it's a beautiful park. <laughs> Do you guys have any thoughts about, like, the themes explored through the characters, the good, the bad, the ugly, the absurdity of war or anything. Mm. Uh, I got it. You mean like the Civil War? Yeah. Um. I, I, I thought like it, uh, obviously the movie touches the, the Civil War because that's the period of time it was set in. But I think it kind of has commentary about war in general. It was just like 30 minutes of the movie, which isn't a lot so it's it wasn't like a main theme in the movie, but I don't know maybe it was i'm not sure
2: you know it could have been any other work exactly. like it's not it's not specifically about the civil war but i I think it does draw the attention to a couple of of absurd things in it, like the bridge scene that captain or colonel or that, that yeah. dies. Even he just wants to blow the bridge up, but he knows that he can't, but no one, either side can get a hold of it. Yeah. And, and people just get killed from both sides. And what I think that the movie did right, is is just the good, the bad and the ugly, they're not part of the war. They're just going through it. They don't take side and the movie doesn't take side. There are assholes in both camps. It's kind of like, this is the state of the world and we're going through it and it creates some conflicts that are interesting on their own and not part of the narrative of the war.
1: Like maybe the war was there just to give the world
0: some more depth, to build the environment, the setting. I think the civil war was there just to show how greedy they were because they didn't give a fuck about it. <laughs> <laughs> they honestly, it could have been a world war and they would just be like, ah, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> you know? It just, it was all about the treasure. Like That's all they cared about.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's because, true. You know, because conflicts come and go, but gold, gold is forever.
0: I know.
1: I, I try to think about kind of what makes the characters the good, the bad, or the ugly, you know? I think the easiest one to figure out is Angel Eyes, the, the bad. Like, he's selfish throughout the movie. He wants a gold, and he doesn't mind killing for for any even bits of the information about it. And he's not even considering working with anyone or sharing the money. I think, like, there was a minute there where he was working with uh, Blondie, because Blondie knew the name on the grave. And he managed to get the name of the cemetery from Tuco. But I'm sure that he wouldn't share a bit of the money. I th- I'm sure he would have Really? I, I had
0: the opposite intuition. Really? And I thought, because hmm. Angel Eyes kind of struck me as the person that would stick to his word. Because the first scene where he says, like, you know, if someone pays me for a job, I'd do it. I thought yeah. maybe that there was some honor aspect there, which maybe, like, if he said he'd split it, he'd split it. Maybe. I mean... The first scene, that's pretty much why he's the bad. He kills a guy, like, what, what What was the first scene again? Where he gets paid, like, $500 to do one thing, and then he gets paid another 500 from killing someone yeah, else? To go
1: get the name from that Stevens guy, and then Stevens wants to pay him to not kill him and
0: go kill the other guy, or something. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right, yeah. He also kills that guy's son as well. Yeah, which sucks.
1: (laughs) I I, I think Blondie as the good is a bit more interesting. Like, I think that the bad, you know, they're telling you that he's bad and he's basically bad throughout the movie. But Blondie, like we said, is not exactly good. He he does a lot of awful stuff. Like, that's why I think he's more interesting. Like, in the first hour or so of the movie, he doesn't seem to be even good at all. Like, he's a bounty hunter that cheats the system by turning in the same bounty over and over again. He kills people on the way. He eventually turned on his partner Tuco and left him to die. So you keep thinking he's not exactly good. But I think that after that part of the story, you know, like Tuco takes his revenge on Blondie and in a way he punishes him and maybe kind of cleans his slate or resets his karma meter or something. He kind of tortures mm. him to the point of nearly dying. And then Blondie is revived in in that frontier mission or or church or whatever it was. So I think that maybe was a turning point for Blondie, and after that, he doesn't seem to be a changed man exactly, but I think that, you know, the moment where Blondie proves his, his goodness is when they meet the, the Yankee army that were fighting for the bridge, we've mentioned, it's a constant fight for, for a very minor strategic location, and he sees how needless it is, like, he even comments saying, I've never seen so many men wasted so badly. And he and Tuco, they they blow up the bridge, which leads up to ending that battle, which probably saves some lives. And obviously, they needed to blow up that bridge to clear the battlefield and get past it to get to the gold. But I'd like to think that if Angel Eyes was in that position, he wouldn't have cared or empathized with the men who were fighting. Like, we see Angel Eyes earlier in the movie taking a position with the Yankee army, but it kind of seems like that position is just comfortable for him in terms of advancing his agenda like once he gathered some more information about the gold he just left the 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 yankee army and he basically uses that war for for his advantage in a way I think that's the main difference between the good and the bad. I may be making things up. I'm not sure.
0: Refresh my memory, but remember when they clear that bridge and then they go to the other side in the morning after taking like a snooze? Yeah. Remember how they see that guy in that like blown up house?
1: Yeah, where he finds his poncho. Yeah, what What do they do um, to that guy? Uh, basically, I think that guy is dying. I think he... Covers him up with his coat and gives him a cigarette yeah. and leaves him to die. Oh, yeah,
0: he gives him a cigarette. That's right. Yeah. 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 So uh-huh. that was quite a good thing to do. Like, you wouldn't imagine any of the other two doing that. No. No.
1: So those are, like, the bad and the good. And and, and Tuko the ugly, he keeps flip-flopping between being a good and a bad guy. And in a way... He's the ugly face of humanity, or maybe he wants to be good, but his ugly side comes up often. I'm not exactly sure. But, like, we'll learn a bit about his past, and it kind of seems that he knows that he's a lousy person, that he's done a lot of wrong, but it seems like he's not really... At least he thinks that he's not really in control of his life. It seems like the world they live in kind of forced him into being what he is, and he's just trying to survive. I don't know. In the end, they're all after the gold. You know, they're all trying to become rich, which is... Seems a bit gritty, but you can make the case that in the Wild West, to have money meant to survive, and you can't blame anyone for wanting to survive. Oh, both Blundy and Tuco were willing to share the money, even though Blondie never fully trusted Tuco for a second, and Tuco
0: tried to take the money for himself. Or, yeah, I guess, but they didn't really ever have like a formal bond about sharing No, it. Like, I guess they did, but like, I think it was kind of like a it was agreed that they would probably fight over it. Whereas, well, I, I'm still sticking to my theory Angelus that... Angel would have shared his, uh, the money with... Uh, I think so. I think he would have shared it with... Like, just because the, he didn't torture um, Blondie either, which was kind of like a, you know, he had some respect for him. So I thought
1: maybe... I, think, I don't know if it was respect. I think he just knew it would be a waste of time. Uh, Blondie wouldn't break. Actually,
0: you know what? He kind of does seem like a hired gun, like doesn't have any morality, more just like... Or any code that he'll just do whatever for the money. So yeah. actually, I'm probably going to revert back to what you said, where I think he's all about money. So maybe that he wouldn't share it. I think maybe you're right.
1: I don't know. I, I don't fully get the characters. But kind of my point is, the characters are very interesting in this movie. Like, there's a lot to compare mm. between them. There's I, I really enjoyed seeing how they reacted to each situation. All three mm. of them. I, I think they were
0: much better than I expected them to be. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You could tell how bad Angel Eyes was through the the long scene. Well, every scene's a long scene, but the, <laughs> the um, I was to think, the, the where they're all with... playing like the, the instruments and yeah. Tuco's getting, um, beaten because the guy like stops playing because he knows what, what's happening to Tuco. And obviously a lot of people have been through that at that camp. And then the guy's like, no, no, keep playing. He's like, Oh,
1: so yeah, there's a scene um, where they're playing music to kind of drown out this, the noises of torturing Tuco. Uh, so the, the high command wouldn't hear it.
0: You know, that a lot of people in there would have had a similar treatment. Yeah. So whereas like, I don't think Blondie would like systematically go through people and like torture them. Yeah. Yeah. Same with Tuko. Like Tuko is like, that's not his like purpose to do things for, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I really, I think my
1: favorite character, just like Boris said, was Tuko, played by Eli Wallach. Like, I loved how he kept switching sides, becoming good or bad as it suited his needs or suited his impulses. Like, And when he needed to be bad, he was as bad as it gets, and I hated him. But when he was good, like I really fell for him. I wanted him to succeed. I think his character was easiest to, to identify with. Yeah. Oh, I fe- it felt alive. I thought that his character was... Maybe the toughest to portray out of the three main characters because, like, Blondie mostly just squinted, Angel Eyes mostly looked devious, and Tuko's character was yeah. very expressive. Like, it was easy to see what he thinks mm. and feels, even when there was no dialogue to explain it. I really enjoyed mm. Tuko.
0: Something I did enjoy about Blondie was up until the scene where he has to go out to the desert and walk until he dies, basically, he did seem sort of untouchable, like, he could do no wrong. And more importantly, that he couldn't really suffer. Like I, I thought he kind of just, you know, always lands butter side up, like never sort of gets a scratch on him. Yeah. But then I was kind of like rattled when he was walking and like, you could see the scars on his face and he legitimately was about to die. Like, so it happens with a lot of movies in modern times, not all movies, but the, the hero sort of gets away unscathed and they never look compromise, like sometimes they do get like a blow against them, but they always take it in their stride that you never see them. It's like one of those CEO like kind of things, like never let them see you struggle. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. even if you are, you never let other people see it. It's kind of like that mentality, but in a character. And a lot of movies nowadays are even sort of going against this where like the hero is like a brawler. They almost, almost get more punches laid against them and, but they get the job done yeah. and then when they come out of a fight, they look terrible. It's like well, if you see me, you should see the other guy kind of thing <laughs> you know, whereas like for a long time, I guess early two thousands, but I mean, there's always going to be exceptions, I feel like we had this kind of like can't be touched hero aspect, which I thought was going to be the same case in this movie, but it wasn't like he, he definitely felt above. The world in the beginning, like above the he does, he did so. That sort of the torture scene kind of brought him da- back down to earth for me. So I thought that was quite interesting to do. Yeah, I honestly thought like when that scene started, I thought he would start out walking and then maybe Tuco would abandon him and then he'd just bump into a town or something and he'd just like go to a bar or something. I honestly didn't see him following through with that. He mostly, uh Blondie mostly squints
1: throughout the movie, smokes, and just basically speaks in cliche knees. So it was a bit cheesy, but I thought it worked really well. I, I still thought that the character was interesting. Like I said, I wanted to see how it would react to different situations. And, you know, I heard about that character before, how it's kind of like the classic badass hero or something. And it was just as cool as I expected it to be. I loved him. I thought it was really cool.
0: I guess you could say Blondie was like anti-hero, whereas the um, Angel Eyes was just the antagonist. And then Tuco was like, I don't know, something else. Yeah. I guess he was another antagonist, but just a different kind.
1: He was humanity. I don't know.
0: <laughs>
1: um, no, because like the two other characters were maybe maybe... Uh, Angel Eyes was absolutely bad. And maybe, what's his name? Blondie. He wasn't absolutely good. He was kind of a anti-hero, but a protagonist. But he was a bit flat. There wasn't too much development in his character. But Tuco, Tuco kind of represents just uh, the everyman, just regular people.
0: I don't know. You know what scene really sets him up as the everyman? Hmm? Like the scene where he's talking to his brother and yeah. he says... um. You can either become a priest or like a thief. And I became a thief and you became a priest. Like, he's like, this is just how we were built. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't set out to do this bad stuff. It's just who I am. That was that was actually quite, you know, that that scene was the one that I related to the most. I with, loved it. I think. Because it's like, he still has a family, he still like cares about people, but he's still like, still not a good person.
2: It's, it's also the only scene... And and only for Tuco that he gets kind of like a backstory, right? We don't have any yeah. backstory about uh, uh, Blondie or Angelus. None at all. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Which gives him depth,
1: Yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. It's like his brother is disappointed in him because his brother did become a priest and he became uh, a thief, a, a lousy man, basically. But just the, the fact that his brother left him behind to, to take care of his parents as a 10-year-old, I think he said, kind of led him to becoming a thief. Mm the soundtrack is maybe maybe one of the most important layers in the movie like I constantly noticed it and I kept thinking about how good it sounds and how it keeps the movie interesting like especially because this is a movie in which the dialogue is a bit sparse like the music held a lot of the weight in the movie now, definitely more than in an average movie. You know, obviously, in the very first seconds of the movie, you hear the the theme music, and I immediately recognize it. I didn't know it was from this movie. It must be one of the most recognizable themes ever, right?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I Whoa. thought honestly, like when I when it came, I was like, <laughs> oh, that they're just using the generic thing, but that was actually like yeah. originated there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't know it was from here, like. Anyone I know would be able to complete this bit if like Bar- like Barra just went wow 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 everyone knows how it it ends but I didn't know it from it was from yeah. here really surprised me the, the 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 soundtrack was brilliant throughout the movie but I'll mention that I listened to the soundtrack on its own a few times D- did you never no, D- no, did you no, I didn't listen actually.
0: To, to movie soundtracks at all I don't I'm not a movie soundtrack person
1: really I I expected to enjoy it. I really enjoyed it throughout the movie. Yeah, without the movie it, it wasn't the same thing.
2: Like I guess that's also a good sign of for the soundtrack because I didn't really pay attention to it because it blended throughout the movie. But what's the soundtrack like? Um it's
1: 21 tracks, 55 minutes, right? And like, you know, the first track is the theme and, and the theme is a lot of fun with the guitars and, and and drums. And then there's a few tracks that are just kind of ambient atmospheric stuff you know they're long notes and kind of empty and kind of um really quiet like you you can maybe not even notice them in the background and then there's another cool track and then there's three boring tracks and oh it's 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 kind of slow it's kind of boring and there's the last few tracks i think the the last four tracks there's uh you know the music that's used when Tiko is running throughout the the, the cemetery there It's called uh, The Ecstasy of Gold, and then there's The Trio, which is uh, the bit with uh, the Mexican standoff. Those tracks are amazing. There's a bunch of amazing tracks throughout the soundtrack, but there's a lot of kind of boring tracks as well. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't really notice it on the first watch, but when I kind of watched a a few selected scenes again, or when I watched the movie the second time, I realized that there's quite a few wide shots in this movie. And the characters in those shots were kind of moving slowly around the screen and and everything. And it kind of felt like everything was calculated in those shots. Like, there was a lot of thought into designing them and a lot of work put into designing everything in them. The cemetery shots, I thought, were amazing. Like, just beautiful you kind of notice without noticing how beautiful this movie is. Like we, I think both of you have mentioned, you kind of expect a movie from 1966, a Western movie from Italy from 1966 to be primitively shot. This one, just beautiful. I think it also aged very well. Really, it's it's kind of simple. It's a lot of gray and green colors and, you know, the colors of their what they're wearing and the color of the earth and what grows out of it. But everything also feels very dirty and old. Mm. And it it just feels real, you know? Yeah. I kept losing myself in the movie.
0: It's very refreshing when you get that. Like, when you do see older films like this that are set mostly outdoors, like, it does give you a good feeling. And it's like, you can't do it anymore because people watching it, the movies, they kind of expect every scene to look like a wallpaper. Mm. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, sometimes it's better just to have, like, the real thing. But, like, that's not. Obviously, they've probably done calculations and that's not making box office. For instance, all the Marvel movies, they do a lot of expansive shots. Like, I already know there's quite a few of, like, Wakanda, where Black Panther hails from. And they're all CGI. Whereas, like, they could have just done, like, a nice outdoor landscape. I'd I'd appreciate that, you know? Like, there's nothing wrong with, like, the world is pretty beautiful. You don't need to, like spice it up anymore.
2: Yeah, I keep thinking that they film this these uh, CGI places only with the trailer in mind. Like, they keep thinking, well, I, we don't really need it for the movie, but it mm. will be great for the trailer. You know, everything will look so awesome.
0: Yeah. Sometimes people will just, like, look at two movie thumbnails, and one will seem more like more detailed and more like sort of rich in color, like look good on their QLED Samsung 65 inch um, TV. And like, they'll just go for that one. But you know, like there's nothing wrong with like a nice natural background. Also, another thing is I, I like those nineties films where you can see like Manhattan or like one of those skylines Mm. and you don't see like the perfect sharpness. Like you see a little bit of the smoke, you see like, you know, a little bit of like the dirty windows and stuff. It's not cleaned up. Which, Yeah, and you see the sun, which sometimes like blurs out or kind of there's some like whiteness on like some of the windows and stuff. But it's like you're actually in Manhattan and you're looking out at the sort of the skyline. I love that. And it happens a lot in the 90s because Manhattan was one of the, like, the biggest cities where you couldn't really do it with a lot of cities because they hadn't like come up yet. And Japan wasn't as sort of like, in the Western world, you know what I mean. Like it, it they weren't filming as many movies for the Western audiences there. So Manhattan was like the one you wanted to use, you know, like Sex in the City, that kind of stuff. Friends, and I just love that. Can we just go back to that?
1: I totally agree. Instead of cleaning things up in a computer and CGIing bits and pieces into things. Just place a camera outside, uh, just like in the mm. cemetery shots. They just put a camera on a, a tripod far away from everything and just shot it. Uh, just beautiful stuff.
2: Did you notice that in The Good, Bad and the Ugly, there aren't... like? Are there any women? I can think of two.
1: Uh, there was Maria, the, the young whore, I think they call her, that used to spend time with Bill Carson. And Angel Eyes get some uh, f- yeah. information from her. Not a, an important character, really. And there was... The inn or uh, the bar, I don't know where the Tico and his three partners came to find Blondie. The innkeeper's wife tells them to get out or something. I don't know. They're...
2: There's also the woman at the beginning. I think the first, the second scene of the movie,
1: the yeah. wife of
2: the guy who knows uh, Bill Carson. Oh, uh, yeah. Carson's name.
1: You're right. But no, there wasn't a, a strong female character.
2: I wonder if that's <laughs> kind of like a common thing in like Westerns from that time.
0: Or movies. (laughs) So I expected the gold at the end. I guess it was gold, but like I was hoping there would be some like bills there, like some like actual Hmm. sort of notes. Cause like I thought Bill Carson would be like Bill Larson and it would be like dollar bill. Larson, yeah. but, um, <laughs> I was jokes. very disappointed. <laughs> um, second thing is, um, this is actually a prequel to the other, you know, movies in the man with no name. Unofficial prequel. Unofficial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because of the, uh, obviously I haven't watched the other ones, but he wears like the hit that poncho through all the other films, which he picks up, um, in this Fistful film full of dollars and for a few dollars more. Yes. Which I would actually like to see. Oh, yeah, same here. I might watch them. Also, Eli Wallach has the most screen time. Oh, really? Um, more than Clint Eastwood. Yeah.
1: Uh, he's the hero of the movie. He's uh, the main character.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there's no dialogue for the first ten and a half minutes. <laughs> 10 which, and half minutes. If you haven't seen this movie, <laughs> like that sums it up. You know that that's that's a long time. Yeah. Um, this is a good one actually. When Tuco is having his handcuffs cut off on the train rail, um, so this is. Like he's laying down and he has to put like the dead guard, I guess, like onto the tracks. And then the, the bit that links the two handcuffs on the, where the, the train wheels, I guess, go over the tracks to like cut it. So, um, the director, um, Leonie, he was just like, yeah, um, so you have to perform that. (laughs) Really? Yeah. He said it would be loud, but it would be like a hundred percent safe. So Wallach was unaware of the low-hanging step rails, which missed his head by a few inches. Oh, my God. In the wide shot, the step that would have hit his head is visible. Wow. So, man, can you imagine? That would have just been insane.
1: I didn't think about that. Like, there was the beat where they're jumping off of the train, and it looks real, and I don't know, it's all practical effect. There's no Mm. CGI. So I thought, that looks like it could hurt. And there was a part where what's his name, Blondie, shoots a cannon at Tuco uh, riding a horse. And I was thinking, man, the, the horse, there's no way he's <laughs> enjoying this bit. But I didn't think about the train part. They actually had to, to shoot it with a real train. <laughs> it's kind of wild.
0: Well, man, that sounds dangerous. Yeah. Um, also, Clint Eastwood had to do stuff he didn't like as well, because he's a non-smoker. He hated smoking. Oh, really? Yeah. And, um, of course, the director, he's always culpable He he loves doing multiple takes, which unconfirmed if it was just because he wanted to piss off Clint Eastwood, (laughs) but you wonder. Um, Anyway, so according to Eli Wallach, Eastwood would sometimes tell Leone, you'd better get it this time because I'm going to throw up. (laughs) And by the time the filming had completed, Clint Eastwood had grown tired of Sergio Leone's perfectionism and demands. The two never worked together again. Though Leonie tried to get Eastwood to appear in once upon a time in the West, mm. in 1968, which was only up two years um, later, which is the, that's the first mistake, like, wait at least five. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Give it time. Let him forget. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Even yeah. if you enjoy smoking, smoking often gives you such a awful feeling. It's it, it, like, it makes you nauseous. Um, He didn't like smoking. He wasn't a smoker. That had to suck.
0: <laughs> mm, I had to blow. Anyway, um, Clint Eastwood... Also wasn't happy with the finished movie. Really? Yeah. He said it was bloated rather than expansive. And the only fleshed out character was Tuco, which honestly isn't that far off. Like, you know, it was long, like bloated rather than expansive. I guess. I mean, like if I could have like my director's cut, I would just cut 30 (laughs) seconds off every long shot and reduce the movie by 30 minutes (laughs) and then just add two minutes or three minutes to that the stare off at the end, but yeah, it was two hours 58 in the, in the one we watched. It could have easily been two hours 30 without cutting any of the plot. Exactly. Totally. And the only fleshed out character was Tuco, which is absolutely true. I don't know what kind of stuff they fleshed out in the first two movies of the trilogy, but in this one, Tuco really is the only fleshed out character. As we said, he's the only one that we get a backstory for. Yeah. Which I mean, we, we agree with all that. It's just... We don't think that sinks the ship. Yeah. So yeah. And last last fact, um, the price of gold in eighteen sixty two, roughly. Well know, that's finished, interesting, yeah. Um was twenty dollars sixty seven an ounce. Um and on August twenty-three, two thousand eleven, an ounce of metal reached an all-time high of one thousand nine hundred and seventeen dollars ninety. The two hundred thousand dollars of gold that Tuco Angel Eyes and Blondie were after would have been worth over 18.5 million Ooh, dollars wow. in 149 years later, a bit over 3% average annual return.
1: That's interesting stuff. Yeah, that's a sum worth killing for.
0: Yeah. 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 Because like 200,000 is a lot because I was going off like what they were paying like $500 to kill someone. Like, I mean, they don't have like an Uber assassination service, but that seems cheap and a $1,000 to overturn Like, you know, like nowadays in the mafia, it's like 10K is like the minimum amount you need to kill someone. <laughs> um, that's pretty common knowledge. <laughs> Everyone knows that. And like $200,000 of gold was a lot back then because you could kill like, oh, I'm so bad at math guys, but like four thousand people, I don't know, <laughs> something like that. But you could kill a lot of people with that. Um or you could just buy a lot of things. But like coffees were like what fifty cents? I i don't know guys, but <laughs> but it two hundred thousand is like more than like it's much more than what it is nowadays yeah. I think it's like yeah much it's in the millions at least. Yeah. Even just going off that gold index, you know. So um set you up for life. Whereas two hundred thousand would do a lot of good but probably wouldn't set you up for life so even half of it is like very good yeah even a third of it is pretty good if they get all get along with it yeah totally agree six six million each Uh, I mean if we all got into a fight about like podcast rights or something I'm happy to go thirds like yeah for six million, six, yeah. yeah, six million. It's pretty <laughs> I'd good. Split up for six million, yeah. It's no, it's no Joe Rogan, a <laughs> 100 million, but it's pretty good. Yeah, Culture Quest, six million. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> hmm.
1: I think that, like, when we watched Enter the Dragon, uh, a movie that you know has a very specific style, it's it's a kung fu movie, then we figured it was kind of a, a movie that people who like that genre would really love and appreciate. And I feel that this movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, is. is different in in a way. Like, I think that a lot of people would love this movie, even if they don't consider themselves fans of Westerns. I think that this is a great movie that happens to be a Western. Like, you could have told a similar story and explored the same themes in a totally different style, and it still would have been very interesting. And I don't know, after watching the movie, I mentioned it earlier, it stayed with me for a while, and I kept thinking about the characters, and I kept feeling the feel of the world and i couldn't let it go i really enjoyed this experience and i totally didn't expect it to be that good maybe more than other movies that we've done in the past this one requires a specific setting like you have to be in the right mood you have to be well rested it's a bit hard to kind of synchronize your pace with the movie if you know what i mean Mm. but i think that if you get into it it's it's one of the better movies
0: i've watched i really really loved it so, this movie I went in t- with um modest expectations I'll say like I was kind of like weighing up between like maybe potentially a bit of a gimmicky nineteen sixties film with a Clint Eastwood film, which kind of brought it up a little bit in my expectations but in the end, Clint Eastwood really um wasn't the highlight for me; it was more just more just the the plot, the way it was shot, definitely Tuco's character. And, and also like the other characters did fill out the movie as well, but it just moved along for me at sort of like in an interesting way. Like I, I couldn't really predict anything and it felt like, even though this it's become cliche because so many movies have come after it, it really, it doesn't rely on any sort of like easy cinematic kind of plot points that they put in every movie. Like this is really like unique It's it's very captivating, actually. Mm. Like it's hard to say it's super engaging because it is so long, but it's it stood with me for quite a bit now. It's one that like I felt really good when I got to the end of, but it was also fun during. And as as an onset, like it's it's a good movie that happens to be a western. It's not it's not like you have to be into westerns because this is as Barry said. It's also my My first Western, so I've never seen one before and I thought it was fantastic. So looking forward to seeing the other movies in the, in the treacle, the trilogy. Yeah. And in terms of iconoclasm, like the music should do it for you. Like Mm. the, this, the theme is just like outstanding. It's like one of the best themes in any movie. So, um, and I'm not like a lover of themes. I do like a good movie theme, but like this one is really quite iconic. I was having fun the whole time, Um, having fun with some of the more interesting sort of events in the story, like when they participate in that sort of mini war, like part of the Civil War. Like like you don't have like serendipitous events like that in modern movies. It feels like they don't have time or like maybe it was, maybe that was there in some modern movies, but it it hit the directors or the cutting room floor, as I say, because every movie has to like be just event, after event, after event, first act, second act, third act, like so many things happening, but this one felt like it actually had the time to, um, you know, investigate itself and sort of have fun with itself. Like it was a really fun movie. I mean, it, it wasn't a comedy, but it honestly, like it was almost like a comedy. Like a lot of it was quite funny and quite lighthearted. So it's definitely, yeah, it, it, very comical, yeah. Yeah, on the whole, I had like such a great time with it. And I absolutely wouldn't have watched it if I didn't get it suggested to me. There's so. no way I would have watched it. And it was so worth it.
1: On the surface, it seems like an adventure movie. But just how everything kind of develops, it kind of feels like an adventure odyssey more than an adventure
2: film. I don't know. It was It was a very pleasant surprise. It holds up. Uh, it aged well. Suddenly, like a couple of things that we know from pop culture make a bit more sense. Like uh, every uh, comical standoff, you know, everything in in our culture and pop culture in specific, I guess, is kind of like built on top of of each other. Like every piece of culture is kind of like you know the roots of. Of the next one and like experiencing the origin i don't know it brings a smile to my face probably there are a lot of people today that aren't even familiar with that name peter you you didn't know uh, the good the bad and the ugly
0: no it ringed a bell but oh, really? i didn't know like good bad and ugly like it just because it's been like you know like the good the bad and the ugly is like such a commonly used term yeah. like in terms of like Oh, you know, let's review these Bose headphones. Here's the good, here's the bad, and here's mm. the ugly. Like, yeah. so obviously, I mm. knew the term, gotcha. but I didn't know. I probably would have guessed it was a movie, but that's yeah. I wasn't that's sure about yeah. that.
2: Huh. You said in that this western is kind of based on samurai movies.
1: The First film in the kind of trilogy, uh, Fistful of Dollars, was literally just a samurai movie reformed into a western. Mm. Uh, it's based on Yojimbo, yeah, a Japanese movie from like a year before or
2: something. Uh, this is something that I would probably want to do. Like I, I would like to watch a Fistful of Dollars, yeah. and then watch Yojimbo. Yojimbo, yeah, could be very a very fun maybe we'll take it as an episode. Someday. Of watching, of watching these two movies together. Yeah. Tracing back to the Could origins. be really interesting,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. So, as we do at the end of each step of our quest, we're going to take a vote that will decide whether or not the good, the bad, and the ugly has a place in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide, a.k.a. the quig. We will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke of the mustache for nay. And the vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. Um, Barrio, you chose this movie.
2: Vote first. I got to say that this is a hard call for me. It is. Yeah. Like I think it plays a major part in in understanding where things come from and and it will give you a lot of common ground to talk with with people that do know this movie. But the 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 joy that you get from from this specific piece when you if you watch it out of context, I'm not sure if it will be there. So
1: it's, it's hard. I, I agree. I kind of felt like after we watched The Muppets, which is a weird comparison to make, I just recommended that movie to everyone I came across. And this one, I had a, a, a brilliant experience with this movie, but I don't feel like I can recommend it to most people I
2: know. Yeah. Do Do we have like uh, side notes in the quag? Yeah. So, bec- yeah, because I feel that, well, I'm going to tip my hat, but only if we, we need to add a side note for this movie because it's not it's not something that you can come unprepared for you need to know what you're going for and and only then you can experience it the way that you will probably get get the most of
1: so that's a tip of the hat with an asterisk yeah Pierre. what about you
0: um i am tipping my hat without the asterisk i actually don't think you need the I actually don't think you need to caveat it with anything. I think mm. I think you can go in blind and like it. Sorry, I I, I tip my cowboy hat.
1: Nice, <laughs> professional. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't really sure what I was going to vote, but I'm I'm tipping my hat as well. This movie is in the Quig, and I think to celebrate this, like when we've introduced the 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 Muppet movie again, a weird comparison to the Quig, um, we've done a Kermit off. So how about we do? A Mexican (laughs) squint-off.
2: Sure. Yeah, yeah, let's do
1: that. Peter, you'll squint first and we'll rank it. (laughs) All right, ready? So it's my turn to choose something for us to do. And I'll be going with a video game. I think both of you have chosen games and I, until now, I didn't. So we're going to play a video game called What Remains of Edith Finch. Uh, as far as I know, it's a first-person game in which you uncover a few stories that connect to one big story or something, I'm not sure, and I think that it contains a few different kind of mini games or puzzles to solve, I'm not exactly sure. I became really interested in video games a few years ago, I played a few indie games, I played a bunch of like older classics and stuff, and ever since I got into games, I heard about the the Edith Finch game, like, a lot. People love it, and it comes up fairly often. So I really want to see what it's about. Um, And also, I think it's supposed to be like two hours long, three hours if you're trying
0: to complete it, like get all the achievements and stuff. So it's fairly short. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We've had a bit of a saga about, video games and the Quegg on our podcast, actually, like there's something about a video game, which never seems to make it into the Quegg. Like I know I've voted negatively against a lot of them, but, inside, um, Chris, um so, we, uh... so we had inside, which was, <laughs> I think we all agreed was a pretty solid game, yeah. but, um, probably like as a two and a half D game, it sort of had to do a lot. It, ha- it had to do a lot of heavy lifting from a themed perspective to get into the Quag, and honestly, it was a bit of a on-the-fence call about it, and it didn't make it. And then we had... Uh, Firewatch was the next one.
1: Yeah. Who recommended Firewatch? Barrio did. I think Barrio recommended Firewatch
0: and Gris.
2: No. Yeah, Peter was Or no, Gris. you brought
0: up Gris. I brought up Gris. Yeah. yeah. For some reason, I thought I brought up Firewatch. But yeah, Firewatch, another, another fantastic game. And Lovely honestly, game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the reasons why... Um, it wasn't in the quake, but just, yeah, you can tip your hat for it uh, retroactively if you want to. I can. <laughs> I, I'd probably have to listen to our episode again, but I do remember like it was good, but it wasn't like a market improvement over Inside. Like I thought, if Inside didn't make it, and then Firewatch does, like the line is very grey. Mm. Like I don't know, like what Firewatch really did that Inside didn't, you know? And, and Firewatch had some legitimate flaws. Like it wasn't perfect the whole time. No, it wasn't perfect. Um, and then Gris, Gris again was okay, but that was more of an easier decision yeah. in terms of not making it into the Quake. Like we did feel like it was a pretty simple game. So like no yeah. disagreements there. No. So we've kind of got close uh, a couple of times and I don't know, I'm kind of just waiting <laughs> for one to make it because we're having so many shots at it. And honestly, like until one makes it in, I'm probably going to like every few times I get to um, bring in a subject, I'm going to be looking for video games. So Honestly it's actually doing the video game genre quite a favor that it hasn't got one in there yet hmm. because we're trying to like pepper more in so but yeah it um, I'm looking forward to this one it it gets really good reviews again um, I think it's on the switch it's also it is on the switch yeah. I did look it up so that'll be fun.
1: I think it came out in 2017 I think it's on everything now oh yeah yeah so thank you Peter and thank you barrio for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See you. See you later,
2: cowboy.
1: The Culture Quest podcast is part of All The People Network. Visit our website at culturequestpodcast.com to contact us or see a list of our upcoming episodes. Follow us on Twitter at CQ Podcast, and tell your friends about us. Find out more information about All The People Network and the other podcasts it includes at allthepeoplenetwork.com.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention all those people that are currently stuck without their phone and are forced to continue listening to this unless they pause it and then have to contemplate, you know, the state of their life and other things. So, you'll probably just continue listening. I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to a um, a website, actually. It's called givewell.org. So, that's give, G-I-V-E, well, W-E l dot org so it's it's a dot org so it's it's legit and um basically they're the authority on who is worth giving money to in terms of charity so obviously we'll give money to friends and family if they fall on hard times but if you are thinking about giving large sums of money to um, charities it's definitely best to do your research because A lot of people just give away money and want to feel good, but it's also good to think of it as an investment and how you can do the most good. So, it's not asking you to give away more money, but it's asking you to give the money away in a responsible way. And um, basically, they've just authorized eight charities. So, out of all the, I want to say hundreds of thousands of charities, might be a bit lower, but they've authorized only eight. And I think it's really good to just scan through the list and um, see if you can consider donating to these charities. So um, I think that would be good if we can all sort of band together during these tough times. At the moment, it's COVID, but you know, that will change and we're all going to need to support everyone. So this is probably one of the best evidence-based ways to do that. So yeah, so definitely hop on to givewell.org if you're considering, and hopefully those charities are like tax deductible or something in your country, which would be in your best interest. So anyway, this is not formal advice, but it's just a good place to go. Thank you.
1: You ever wish you could learn just a bit more about the world, but have no idea where to start? Well, I know how you feel. And that's what the Assorted Goods podcast is here for. Join Dan, me, a bad student turned curious mind who's just trying to get a tiny bit smarter as he gets a little older. Every episode, I pick a big topic or idea, do a little
0: research, see what I find, and then I pass it all along to you a podcast for anyone who's too damn busy to do the research. It's what I'm here for. So stop by Assorted Goods, have a listen and join me on my journey to figure out the world one story at a time. Find Assorted Goods wherever
1: you get your podcasts, and I'll see you there.